and gentlemen and welcome to podcast number four of 2018 just in case you ended up here by accident you're currently listening to the podcast of tech.eu which is europe's premier technology industry information portal and marketing intelligence platform my name is robin walters i'm the founder and editor of tech.eu and i like to use this podcast to discuss some recent noteworthy news from european startups investment firms and governments alike and i also regularly feature interesting entrepreneurs and investors from across the continent Today, we are featuring not one, not two, but a grand total of three interviews, and they are all, perhaps surprisingly, related to the European electricity industry. The sector has been undergoing a massive wave of digital transformation, and I was fortunate to be invited to an event uh, hosted by uh, Euroelectric, which is sort of a trade organization based in Brussels. I was there a couple of weeks ago to learn more about what's happening there. Uh, so keep listening to hear from a number of people who are way more knowledgeable about the pan-European energy industry and its challenges and opportunities ahead than yours truly. But before we listen to those interviews, here's an overview of some recent European tech news that I thought was remarkable enough to warrant a second or closer look. And as often, we are going to take a look at some recent major events in the European fintech space for starters. Arguably, the biggest news is that American payments giant PayPal has reached a deal to buy Sweden-based fintech startup iZettle for $2.2 billion in cash, uh, which would make it uh, the biggest acquisition in PayPal's history. Uh, notably, the deal was reached before iZettle got a chance to go ahead with its recently uncovered plans to go public instead. iZettle started off providing Square-like credit card readers that plug into tablets and smartphones, but it has since expanded to offer a series of tools for small businesses that sell their products and services online, ranging from analytics and invoicing software to providing cash advances. It has also expanded geographically out of its Nordic home market into other countries such as the UK, Spain, Mexico and Brazil. Now, that's something that's very interesting for PayPal, of course. Uh, PayPal has in the area of 20 million merchants, whereas iZettle only has about 500,000. But the move is all about increasing PayPal's payments present among physical retailers. The company also said acquiring iZettle gives it access to a team of engineers and product developers and more such profiles in Europe, where today it has mostly a commercial rather than a technical presence here in these parts. Of note, this is another big win, of course, for Stockholm-born companies after Spotify's IPO, and it will be interesting to see what more happens in Sweden during the rest of the year. Another big story in European fintech was, of course, that Revolut, uh, the UK-based digital banking startup, announced a $250 million funding round at a $1.27 billion valuation led by Chinese firm DST Global. Other participants in the Series C round include Index Ventures and Rivet Capital, bringing the fintech company's total funding to about $340 million. The London company develops a mobile-based current account for transferring funds globally and exchanging currencies, recently rolled-out support for cryptocurrencies to boot. Um, today, Revolut processes around $1.8 billion a month with 2 million customers and about 250,000 daily active users. Quite impressive numbers right there. The new funds will be invested in expanding in its growth in North America, Asia and Australian markets and to more than double its workforce to 800 people as it seeks to sign up 100 million customers in the coming years. That would be quite impressive, but who knows? Maybe they'll make it. And then, of course, there's Adyen, the Dutch company that allows businesses to accept e-commerce, mobile, and point-of-sale payments. Adyen has just confirmed plans to publicly list on the Euronext Amsterdam exchange, as it will be selling up to 15% of its shares, uh, which would give it a valuation of between 6 and 9 billion euros. 
That's a pretty wide range for sure, but it's also a big increase in valuation from the last publicly confirmed valuation they received when taking funding from the PC firm that's backed by Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey. Uh, now, it's definitely an IPO that we'll be watching with great interest. There should be noted that Adin has only announced its intention so far, so we don't really know when to expect the listing. Slightly smaller news from the European fintech space is that Swedish fintech unicorn Klarna has acquired the small German startup that aims to simplify online shopping. Klarna has acquired Düsseldorf-based shop.co, which offers a free universal cart browser extension that allows online shoppers to basically purchase from their favorite stores in one go and check out with one click. Now, it looks like Klarna is mostly acquiring some IP and taking over a mere eight shop.co employees as the German startup's browser extension will be shut down. Speaking of Germany, Berlin-based Frontier Car Group, which develops, backs, and operates used car marketplace in a variety of emerging markets, has raised more than $41 million in Series B funding. A group of existing investors participated in the round, including Bolton Capital and TPG Growth, and they were joined by automotive funds Fraser McCombs Capital and Autotech Ventures. Frontier has now raised north of $75 million in equity funding since it emerged on the scene. Founded in 2016, the company is actually led by a 24-year-old CEO called Sujai Tile, and it operates marketplaces in Nigeria, Mexico, Chile, Turkey, Pakistan, and Indonesia. The company says it will use new funding to become the dominant used car trading house in emerging markets across the world. Meanwhile, over in Hamburg, travel tech startup Dreamlines has raised 45 million euros in Series E funding for its cruise booking platform. The investment was led by Princeville Global, with participation from existing investors, including Holtspring Ventures, Target Global, Hasso Plattner Ventures, and a number of others. And now let's listen to our first interview, uh, which is with Christian Ruby. He's the Secretary General of Euroelectric, the organization that, as a reminder, represents the common interests of the electricity industry at a pan-European level. Hey, this is Robin Walters from TechEU, and I'm here in Brussels. We're at the Euroelectric Digitopia event, which is an event where the electricity industry basically comes together and talks about the digital transformation, the way that digitization is changing the industry. And I'm sitting down with Christian Ruby, who's the Secretary General of Euroelectric. Maybe briefly introduce the organization yourself. Yeah, thanks. Um, essentially, Euroelectric is uh, the industry trade body for the electricity industry in Europe. We're representing 3,500 companies across the continent um, and a turnover above 500 billion euros. So it's a big industry and, um, and we're in the midst of this very exciting transformation where decentralization, decarbonization and not least digitalization are really fundamentally changing our business Great. And what do you hope to achieve with this event? Well, for me, it was very important to, to basically put focus on this key topic because I really think that this is one of the key drivers, one of the key forces driving change in, in the business over the next 10 years. We've heard from uh, Peter Hinson, was your first keynote speaker this morning. He said, the utility industry is incredibly slow moving. Do you agree with that statement? Well, I think historically, yes, we have been moving slow. I think all big industries with big capital assets are by definition a little bit slow moving because we have a lot of assets on the ground. On the other hand, I really am experiencing a, an increasing focus on this and seeing a lot of good examples out there in the industry of people that are taking on the, uh, the challenges and are really developing new services, seeing opportunities for how to optimize their assets, create a better customer journey, and and uh, develop new products based on digital solutions. 
Great. Well, on that note, um, when I think of startups in this space in energy management and smart devices and whatnot, it's almost always on the consumer side, either you know personal individuals or, or offices. But there's, of course, a whole value chain associated with the utility industry. Where do you think some of the innovations that the end consumer might not see? But what are some of the innovations that are happening in the value chain that you can see as a trade body? Well, I think we had some good uh, examples from, for example, GE today. I want to stress that for us, really reinvent our relation to the customer is really, really business critical. So that's going to be a very important part of this digital journey to really produce better solutions for our customers that are visible for the customers. That said, there's a lot of change also in, let's say, uh, the more upstream parts of the business, if you will. For example, generation, so how to produce electricity. Here we're seeing a multitude of ways to apply digital solutions to help produce more clean, more efficiently, and better electricity at the end of the day. I'll give you just a few examples. If you have a number of uh, decentralized generation assets that could be solar panels or wind turbines, with digital solutions, you can aggregate them, uh, you can pool them and, and sell electricity at the same time from these assets, and you can also optimize the time at which you sell and thereby make more money from these assets. You can also take a power plant that perhaps has some pollution and say, how do we uh, minimize that pollution by only dispatching this power plant when it's really needed? That can also be done with digital solutions. So one of the things I've heard a lot today is big data and the way you personalize and customize the experience for the end customer. We're in Brussels, so we have to talk about legislation and regulation, the upcoming one that's very relevant to the utility industry is, of course, GDPR. What kind of effect is this legislation going to have on the electricity or the power industry? Well, I think essentially it's going to put in place a number of measures that are going to ultimately protect consumers with a view to ensuring that, that data is only kept for a meaningful amount of time and that you have more control as an individual of what companies are storing in terms of information about you. And as such, I think that kind of legislation is needed in order to for us to, to navigate this new world of really, really pervasive data streams. Is the GDPR 100% spot on? Not entirely convinced about that, but I think it's something that we need to work with the, the legislative um, institutions to, to basically say, okay, well, now implement what you put on the table, and then we need to look, is this doing what it's supposed to do, and, and is it providing some barriers as well for innovation, uh, which might be the case, but we'll have to have a little bit of time just to see how that evolves. Great. Uh, so this whole um, technological advancement that we've seen over the years obviously brings a lot of opportunities. Uh, it also comes with challenges. Uh, what are some of the challenges specific to the utility industry that you see this this whole shift you know, to more and better technology? I think an, a key theme here is the blurring of boundaries. We're really seeing integration with other sectors, adjacent markets that are really converging. And that means that we get a whole set of new competitors that really have digital solutions in their blood that really have it deep in their DNA. I think as a utility industry, we'll be challenged by seeing how good others are at this, uh, how good they are at interacting with the customers, providing solutions for the customers, automating solutions for the customers. And we really need to learn from that because at the end of the day, we'll be more and more competing over the same, let's say, prize, which is to have a good relation and provide value for the consumer. We're not going to see so much focus on electricity 
specificity as such in the future. We're going to see focus on services that provide value in the life of consumers, mobility services, smart home services, all kinds of services that make your life easier and, and, and empower you to do what you want as an individual or as a collective group. And essentially getting behind this and, and finding a way to crack the code for, for providing those solutions, there we really need to step up our game. We've been used to having a big customer base that we didn't have to argue our value uh, in front of. Great answer, great event. Uh, Mr. Ruby, thank you so much for joining us and best of luck with everything. Thank you. And now back to some of the most notable recent news items in EU tech. Uh, European online gaming company Paddy Power Betfair, based in Ireland, has agreed to buy New York-based fantasy sports site FanDuel, as it intends to merge its US assets with uh, FanDuel and invest about $158 million in cash on top of that. Paddy Power Betfair had earlier confirmed that it was in talks to acquire FanDuel only a day after the US Supreme Court struck down a federal ban on sports gambling. FanDuel previously had been working to go public via reverse merger, and it raised $43 million in VC funding from firms like KKR, NBC Sports, Comcast Ventures, and the NBA in the past. It had been valued at $1.2 billion per terms of a planned 2017 merger with DraftKings, but media reports now put the purchase price at between $600 and $700 million. An even bigger deal would be the sale of UK-based property portal Zoopla. Uh, Zoopla, of course, is a leader in the UK market. Uh, they have about 50 million visits across its apps and uh, sites uh, on a monthly basis. 25,000 business partners integrated with this platform. And the publicly listed company has recently announced that Silver Lake has made a cash offer of about $3 billion to acquire it in full. To be continued, no doubt. And now for our next interview, we go to Xavier Mamo, who is uh, basically the director of uh, EDF Energy's uh, UK Center for uh, Research and Development. Just for your background, EDF Energy is a business that's uh, part of the world's biggest uh, electricity generator, the EDF Group, and is also the UK's largest producer of uh, low-carbon electricity with millions of people and companies as its customers. EDF Energy is essentially trying to accelerate innovation for both those customers and its own business, you know, from the increasing speed, scale, and, and innovation in consumer-facing tech to the more gradual reduction in the cost of generating and supplying electricity in general. Uh, so a great example of this is EDF Energy's uh, Pulse Awards, uh, which Xavier will tell us more about uh, in a minute. But uh, basically, the Pulse Awards help entrepreneurs and startups turn innovative ideas uh, into a reality, accelerating new products and services within the energy space. Investment is available annually to support the development of the winning ideas and products, as EDF Energy aims to be a core part of the communities where, quote-unquote, collaborative initiatives and sharing of ideas can flourish. Um, now, EDF Energies uh, are in the UK centre, and Innovation Accelerator Blue Lab have both a key role to play in all of this. Uh, I've learned, for example, that the company invests roughly uh, £50 million pounds in uh, research and development every year, uh, which is more than any other utility company in the UK. Uh, now, okay, let's talk to Xavier Mamo about uh, EDF Energy and about the Pulse Awards. Uh, and we also feature Charlie Vey from uh, PowerVault, which is a, a startup that was one of the main winners of this year's competition. Uh, but let's start with Xavier. Can you tell us uh, how many companies participated in this year's edition of the Pulse Awards? How many competitions there have been so far? Uh, what do startups get when they win? Um, yeah, give us the basics of the Pulse Awards, essentially. 
Sure. So this is the second edition for the EDF Energy Pulse Awards this year. So we have uh, extended the number of categories compared to the, the first editions to five uh, categories, cut, cutting across all the sector of our businesses with uh, a golden thread. It's, if I may say, around digital and uh, new technologies, basically. I mean, uh, coming back to your uh, introduction and uh, the importance of digital in the energy sector as of today. So the categories are really looking at addressing industrial challenges that we have around nuclear safety, data security, diversity and engagement in the workplace, integrity of our industrial structures, and of course, a specific challenge dedicated to customer facing sort of technologies and applications that is led by, by the Blue Lab. So the specificity, I think, of the, the Pulse Awards is not only are we uh, looking at identifying very innovative uh, technology and services, but we are really committed and have uh, operational people from the business units to work directly with the, the startups. And uh, on top of providing some uh, cash prices, there is also a program to accelerate the development of innovations within our facilities. So Blue Lab is one very good example for that, where we have a 12-week acceleration program as part of the challenge itself for the startups to develop their offers, products, and services and make sure it fits to our needs. But for other categories as well, and the, the idea is to develop further the partnership with the startups and, and to see how they can develop their products to fit uh, our needs and, and provide the benefits to, to our businesses. Great. Well, that's a very clear explanation. And as it happens, we are delighted to have um, the winner of this year's uh, Blue Lab, I guess, category, uh, in the Pulse Awards, Charlie Vey, who is uh, the Head of Business Development at PowerVault. Uh, welcome, Charlie. Can you tell us a little bit more about the company first? Sure. Yeah, so PowerVault uh, was founded about five years ago. We're based in London, and we design and manufacture smart energy storage products for the home. So they deliver value to the customer in the home by storing um, either solar energy if there are solar panels on the roof or off-peak electricity from the grid if the customer is on a time-of-use tariff such as Economy 7 or indeed a smart tariff that varies throughout the day. It's also designed to deliver value to the local and national electricity networks and of course the energy supplier. So this is in the way that when groups of power vaults are aggregated together via the clouds across the UK, they can provide flexibility services and energy trading capabilities that will deliver value to local DNOs and, and um, national grid um, and also the likes of EDF Energy. Great. It sounds very interesting. Uh, how did Power Vault come to learn about the Pulse Awards and what made you decide to enter the competition? Um, I think we actually applied to the Pulse Awards, or, or more specifically the Blue Lab Challenge, the year before last. And then we were approached again by EDF Energy to submit an application. So we did, and, and we were obviously successful this time. And yeah, it's, it started with an online application and then progressed to an interview stage, and then it went from there. Aside from the cash prize that you get and the recognition, the media attention, etc., this, is this also going to result in a long-term relationship with EDF Energy? And how beneficial is that to you? It's massively beneficial. 
Um, obviously, working with one of the largest energy suppliers in the world, um, it's not to be sneezed at. Um, it's really, really exciting for us. They have millions of customers that we could sell our products to. They can realize a lot of benefit from our products being deployed and aggregated together. And we believe that they'll deliver value to EDF Energy's customers as well. Fantastic. Uh, Xavier, can you briefly elaborate on what was the driver for the decision to sort of crown uh, PowerFault as the winner for the Blue Lab channel? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think first, uh, that's a very good example of a success story alongside the EDF Energy Pulse Awards and, and, and really uh, an opportunity for us to provide innovative and new solutions uh, to our customers. So specifically, storage is really, a, a can be, sorry, a, a key game changer in, in industry sectors. And, and we have a, a strong commitment as a group, but also as a company operating in the UK to be a key player in that new market. And recently, EDF Group made a commitment around the 8 billion euro investment to develop new storage technology, electricity storage technologies, reaching out to around 10 gigawatt of new storage solutions by 2035. So for us, it's a big opportunity and also a strong objective as a group. So I think working very closely with PowerVault is, is, is a great opportunity to uh, start building up and integrating those offer and new uh, services in our portfolio and reaching out to our customer to provide them with innovative services and met their, I guess, changing and evolving expectations uh, moving forward. Great. Well, that sounds like a wonderful uh, long-term partnership in the making uh, and congratulations to PowerFold for for winning. Xavier, one last question before we uh, conclude the interview. How do you think the Pulse Awards itself is going to evolve in the future, um, next year, but also in the coming years? Uh, because I take it this is the second edition, so you also learn from the way it goes. So so how will the third edition be different from this one? Well, that's a very, that's a very good question. First, I think, I mean, reflecting probably on the, on the previous edition and, and some of the success stories we, we have had here. So maybe two I could mention. One is a company, a startup called House, which we have continued to work with and further developed the partnership. And, and we are in the process of really putting an offer on the market, leveraging their solutions. So really, I mean, it's it's not a one-off to some extent. It's really about developing a partnership and then solution. Another good example is probably a Viridian technology, which is addressing another challenge we have in other parts of the business to help prepare the decommissioning of our power station in the most safe way. And so again, we are we are developing further the partnership. So I think this is, this is really a, a good story moving forward. I think looking at next year edition, for me, the really important point in EDF Energy Pulse Awards is that opportunity to build a strong relationship between startups and, let's say, operational businesses within the company in order to shift and uh, evolve the culture. So I think it has proven to be a, a very fruitful combination and provide very good results on the previous edition. So really the ambition is to uh, identify, I guess, new challenges that we can face and just making sure that we have as much categories as needed to embark uh, as much as we can uh, the different business units. So I think we probably will look at uh, keeping the same kind of format and probably looking at uh, having categories that represent all of the business units in order to evolve uh, more broadly the, the culture of the company and, and to make it more like a business as usual for, for people to reach out to, to start up and to build up, I guess, strong relationship without necessarily going through, through challenges. 
Great. Well, on that note, uh, I wish you the best for, for the next edition of the Pulse Awards. Uh, Charlie, again, congratulations for winning the Blue Lab uh, Innovation Challenge. And I hope it results in a you know, win-win situation, as you mentioned, uh, for the both of you. Uh, but thank you so much for taking the time. Best of luck with uh, both of your respective uh, businesses. Thank you. In other news, Apple has ditched its plans to build an 850 million euro data center in Ireland because of delays in the approval process that have solved the project for more than three years. Apple originally had announced plans in February 2015 to build a facility in the rural western town of Athenry to take advantage of green energy sources nearby, but a series of planning appeals, chiefly from only two individuals, have delayed its approval. Now, Ireland's High Court ruled in October that the data center could proceed, dismissing the appellants who then took their case to the country's Supreme Court. And now the delays have prompted Apple to scrap the plans for the data center altogether. In slightly related news, Apple has started paying 13 billion euros in back taxes to the Irish government in a move that comes 19 months after Brussels ruled that the American tech giant received a quarter century worth of illegal aid from Dublin through a tax scheme that was unavailable to other companies. And now I would like to say a few words about the Tech Nation 2018 report that recently came out in the UK, offering some insights into what's happening in the country that can still be considered Europe's biggest tech hub. Uh, indeed, many worried that the Brexit vote would negatively affect the tech industry, but it seems that last year tech in the UK has proven itself stronger than ever. The new report found that the digital sector in the UK is growing about 2.6 times faster than the rest of the economy, with turnover for UK tech companies growing by 4.5% last year compared to 1.7% increase in the country's GDP. The UK also made it into the top three countries in the world for total capital invested in digital tech uh, in 2017, behind only the US and China. Uh, TechEU's uh, own 2017 funding report indeed underscores the Tech Nation report's findings, uh, with investment in UK-based tech startups more than doubling to over 7 billion euros in 2017, uh, which was up from 3.3 billion euros in 2016. Uh, UK investment volume has consistently been ahead of uh, other European countries, but in 2017, it really grew by leaps and bounds, and tech startups have really been clearly maturing and scaling across the country, so that's very interesting to see. Uh, some rising UK tech stars include the simulation-based gaming platform Improbable, which raised 455 million euros from Japan's SoftBank. There's fashion e-commerce startup Farfetch, which raised 361 million euros from China's JD.com. And there's food delivery service Deliveroo, which just raised 440 million euros and plenty more. It will be interesting to see what next year's report will look like as these companies continue to scale into global leaders in their respective fields. And the UK is also where one of the biggest European tech IPOs recently took place and the company in question comes out of a much, much smaller nation called the Czech Republic. Alphast Software, the well-known cybersecurity group, have listed its shares on the London Stock Exchange and joining currently a market cap of roughly about 2.5 billion euros. And for a final interview of this podcast, we are going to listen to a chat I had with Tiago Mura Antunes, who is the head of client-focused innovations for EDP, which is the Portuguese uh, utility player. Hey, this is Robin Waters from uh, TechU, and I'm here in Brussels at the Digitopia event put on by Euroelectric, which is the trade body for the utility industry in Europe. Uh, and I'm sitting now with Tiago Antunes, who works in the innovation department of uh, EDP, which is uh, the Portuguese uh, yep. utility company. Can you briefly explain how big EDP is, what you do, and what's your market share is, for example? Okay, uh, so EDP is a multinational company. Uh, we are a Portuguese utility company with uh, um, operations in, in Portugal, Spain, and Brazil, and now we're, we're 
are uh, moving to, uh, towards uh, other geographies as well. Inside uh, EDP, so EDP is a vertically integrated company. At the retail space, we have uh, roughly 4 million customers today in Portugal, which represents roughly 80-something percent of, of the market share. Great. Um, innovation means a lot of different things to different people. Uh, what does innovation mean within EDP? Within EDP, uh, we at Innovation uh, look at it as uh, as a broader perspective as possible. So we look, uh, we organize ourselves at EDP Innovation in a multifunctional teams, and and we address the needs very much aligned with uh, with the needs of uh, the um, of the business units internally of of the group, very aligned with the value chain. Uh, and then we have some uh, transversal uh, areas that look into uh, more uh, broader areas like special projects, startups, uh, venture capital list as well, together with these technical units that drive the, the project. Great. I'm actually quite interested in learning how you work with startups because there are different ways. You can buy from startups, you can invest, you can acquire them. How does EDP specifically work with startups in this field? Yeah. Inside EDP uh, Innovation, we have EDP Starter. And EDP Starter basically looks into the process of onboarding uh, the startup from uh, the idea up until a potential investment. So the way we work with them is basically we, together with the technical areas, uh, EDP Starter leverages a lot of one-to-one -one meetings, a lot of uh, speed dating, etc. For instance, Free Electrons is, uh, is part of, of, that, um, of that scope. And what we do is we, from the moment that the startup has an idea, they, they bring it to us, we look at it as a possible, as a possible project towards some business unit. And if there's a scope enough to test it, basically we run the test pilots with the business unit. And then if the, the result is satisfactory enough, then we even present them to our venture capitalism arm and we even look at potentially investments. Great. You've been at the Digitopia event all day. Um, what are some of the things about the utility industry and the change it's undergoing have you learned today? I think the most, the, the biggest takeaway from here is pretty much the mindset that uh, a lot of utilities are sharing about this uh, new thing around digitalization. We know that we want that we need to uh, set up and get our basics straight, but then there's this new uh, approach to new things, new topics, new projects, new people, new downstreams, a lot of new things that put it into perspective against the let's call it the traditional utility, and it's very interesting to to, to see that uh, utilities are going through the same mindset and through the same uh, um, path because it's uh, we all take advantage from, from it in the long term. Right. Um, this morning's keynote speaker uh, said something that I thought was really interesting is that the telco companies have really had you know problems adapting to this new reality of becoming dumb pipes and essentially not being as relevant to the end consumer. And he basically said the utility industry will probably have the same uh, sort of journey ahead. Do you agree with that? I find that in the utility space, we are very lucky to follow this, that footsteps from, from the telcos because it is true, and in Portugal we are seeing that as well, we are going through the same things that happen to the telcos. So we just have to take advantage from it and understand that if we look at today what telcos are, if we don't want to become irrelevant in people's, in people's mind, then we need to do something about it to, today. That was the final question. Thank you very much and best of luck. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. And to conclude this podcast, I'm drawing from a recent profile I wrote on eFounders, uh, which is a Belgian-French startup studio that has incubated quite a few interesting SaaS companies in the past few years. Earlier this month, uh, just one of those startups, a French one called Aircall, announced that it raised $29 million in Series B funding to boost its cloud-based call center software business. 
Notably, the round brings the total capital raised by all of eFounder startups to more than $175 million since its founding in 2011. More interesting is that eFounder startups have raised close to $120 million of that only in the first couple months of 2018, after other founding announcements by the likes of Forest, Front, Splendesk, Slide, and Station. They like their startup names very short. eFounders also recently got to announce its first exit, selling it's Incubate Text Master to Technicis for an undisclosed sum. Uh, now, eFounders is on a roll, so to speak, uh, but it also stands out because of its model, which makes it neither a traditional investor nor an accelerator. At the startup studio, projects always originate in-house and they're led by entrepreneurs who receive a majority stake in the company. During an 18-month cycle, eFounder then backs its startups with capital and expertise to assemble a team of roughly a dozen employees and create a product that meets a need in order to get early traction. The startup then turns to VCs or business angels to grow fully independent from the studio. And not just any investor, in fact, eFounder startups have today been funded by the likes of Sequoia Capital, Index Ventures, DFJ, Y Combinator, Axel Partners, Draper Esprit, Balderton Capital, and the list goes on. There's plenty more notable investors. Uh, today, eFounders has incubated about 14 startups, which combined employ more than 500 employees. I think that's a very nice success story, and that's worth highlighting. Speaking of which, early stage investment firm Seedcamp has just announced the final close of its fourth fund at 60 million pounds. That's over 30 times larger than Seedcamp's initial fund of 2.5 million raised in 2007. With the new fund, Seedcamp plans to make pre-seed and seed stage investments in up to 100 startups across Europe. Now, notably, its new investors include over 100 founders, mentors, and angel investors, including the likes of Daniel Dines from UiPath, Tavet Skinrikus from uh, TransferWise, and Barry Smith from Skyscanner. There's also a couple of institutional investors in the fund, of course, including Orange Digital Investments and Cachette Capital Management. The round also includes £2 million of investment through a new partnership with equity crowdfunding platform Cedars, in which many founders of Seedcamp-backed startups have participated. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Tell all your friends and enemies about it and follow us on Twitter at tech underscore EU or Facebook for regular updates on all things European tech. Thank you so much for listening. This is Robin Walters checking out. Ciao. 